This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hello and welcome to The Blank Podcast, the podcast where we talk to well-known people about their lives, their careers, and some of those difficult moments along the way. I'm Giles Perry Phillips, and with me today in his new shed, the recording shed of destiny, is Jim Daly. <laughs> I'm in the shed. I'm finally in the shed, and I'm finally here, actually, with equipment. Um, I've got... Well, I'm slightly worried I might sound a bit echoey. Do I sound? It's not a shed, though, okay? is it? We shouldn't call it a shed. It's a it's recording a, it's, cabin, or officially it's a cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be whatever you want it to be. Like it's our office slash studio slash get away from the toddler space. <laughs> yeah. It can be anything. I'm 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 working on soundproofing it, so I have I have well, got some soundproofing stuff up. Yes, well, I mean Jim. you've got you've got the ultimate. You need to get yourself block. one of these yeah. uh, amazing blank. Um, Wait, hold it up, hold it up. I'm going to get a photo for Instagram. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so for those who don't follow us on um, social media, I um, was going to buy some acoustic dampening panels. So if people don't know what they are. They're, if you're in a room, recording room, have some panels to dampen the sound so you don't get so much sort of room sound um, and echo. Not that this room, my room is particularly echo, it's quite a small room, but I thought, yeah, it'd just be nice. To, well, I've got a space behind the laptop, I thought I have that, and it can, I can bounce the sound off when I'm talking into the laptop. Anyway, um, Mrs. Paley Phillips, who's very, very clever, <laughs> uh, is a DT teacher and has access to a laser cutter, which is very exciting. And she said, well, why don't we just, I can get a bit of plywood, and we can, you send me the the font for, the, for, the, for blank, and uh, I'll get it cut out with a laser cutter and we'll make your own uh customized acoustic dampening panel it looks amazing sure. do you reckon she would make me one for the office i'm sure she would oh, that would be amazing that would be because i'm trying to brand it with stuff because I, I i'm very much influenced by your workspace that you've got there so i'm trying to brand it with i've got my like my youtube play button 
Uh, it'd be nice to have a blank thing up here, maybe some palace stuff, but um trying to make it like my like you have, like a proper little space. To well do I work should and... I shall send you the link to the to eBay to get the, the foam. <gasps> Amazing. Because it's a specific soundproofing foam. And yeah. then uh yeah, ping it over to us and I'll I will speak. <gasps> That'd be amazing. Shell about to see if we can get another one done. That'd be great. But it's exciting being in the in the cabin. Mm. I, I keep wanting to say shed. Being in the cabin and and the, it's it, it's an interesting feeling, sort of walking up here, but then also walking back, being like, oh, I've just left my office. It feels yeah. really good. Like it feels like, I don't know, clay, reclaiming a bit of life back a bit in terms mm. of being able to just use this for work it's uh yeah it's been a long time coming but it feels yeah it feels amazing to be in here it's nice to have that separation from from the home as well isn't it yeah i think it's important you know because especially in the last year we've all been sort of stuck at home in various yeah. forms and actually working from home as well and there's that little bit less separation yeah um so i think that's really nice that you've got that now and i did a um, i did a gig during the week and as you can see, I've got my sort of setup here. So I have my got a green screen there. there. Got a green screen there because they wanted us to have a green screen so we could have put up like a sort of a pretend um, theatre background, background. Oh, okay. So you, had, what, like, you didn't have a glitter ball or anything behind No. That. Oh, I should have done. That's a good shout. Yeah, I should have done. Um, but I've got, I've got here, we've got a pretend kitchen thing for, for Maria. So I put my laptop on that. I've got my spotlight, um, nice. my ring light and stuff. But it was nice to have a, it was nice sort of doing the gig. And then it was like leaving a venue. Obviously, the, yeah. end, the end of my garden. But it was... um. Yeah, it felt sort of getting back into the rhythm of things a little bit. So, yeah, getting into the office has massively helped. Um, yeah, and it's, nice. this is where I will now do all my blank pod recordings from as well. Fantastic. Uh, well, I'm very pleased you're in. That's good. And we've got a great guest today for our, uh, our what, your debut in the cabin. Yes, yeah, the cabin debut. Yeah, I mean, we are completing, well, it's not even trilogy. What, what comes after a trilogy? Quad quadruple quadruple uh, we are completing the set the league of gentlemen yeah. set aren't we because it's the wonderful yeah. jeremy dyson um and it's been an absolute joy talking to him what a fantastic fantastic guy yeah i mean i guess jeremy's a sort of silent partner to a certain extent because he doesn't perform yeah. with the league but he's a very big part of the writing process and yeah has been working with them for for many years he didn't attend Bretton hall but he met those guys through a mutual friend while they were at Bretton hall and obviously we've had the other guys on yeah. um uh, steve reese and mark and they've talked about their time at Bretton hall uh and yeah and i mean jeremy's done lots of other stuff as well as league of gentlemen he did a series called funland is BAFTA nominated and um, more recently Ghost Stories which was a, a West End production and then it became a movie with Martin Freeman in and yeah it was really successful with that as well we talk about also his love of Hammer Horror and uh, 60s and 70s horror movies and you know and, and then Supernatural and all that kind of stuff which is really how he got to become so close and connected with yeah. the, the other guys in the league and that, that have that, that mutual kind of love of those things. So, yeah, lovely to talk to and, you know, obviously a very, very talented and wise man. Mm, very talented man, but it's very interesting talking to him about the creative process, um, that connection, that shared connection with people, I think is, is you know, is really what we all crave. So it's very interesting hearing him talking about that. And then obviously we've got extra content for our patrons with Jeremy as well, where he does delve uh, into uh, what, sort of what he does in, in blank moments. And it's actually mm. very interesting, actually. Not something we've had before on the podcast, actually, in terms of techniques. So we'll leave it there for the teaser. But yeah, um, yeah definitely worth signing up to if you want to sort of hear how Jeremy uh gets through those blank moments very interesting so that is uh patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n 
facebook.com forward slash blank podcast where we are growing we are we are getting new people uh, every couple of days so thank you so much to all our patrons for, for joining up we hope you're enjoying the, the bonus content that we're doing with all our guests yeah and there's loads more exciting new content to come as well so please do sign up um and obviously you get the podcast early as well so you get you it get before it, yeah. before the general public so you're even more special exactly exactly um i mean also speaking of special people we love we love mm. our twitter followers um and many of them have become patrons um but we, and we love receiving tweets we're going to read out a couple of tweets as we normally do in uh in part one uh this one here is from john rushton at jp rushton music um oh musician um he says uh really honest and an interesting chat about anxiety drink and music with graham coxham what uh, well, he's put, what a lovey chap. Thank you, which, which has gone a bit theatre at the end. And then he's done a follow-up <laughs> tweet uh, with an asterisk saying, lovely. Um, so he meant to say lovely. But yeah, no, it, what, I mean, the, the Graham Coxon episode is absolutely fantastic. And we do cover a lot of bases there as well. And I think your tweet is, is related to that as well, because it's really resonated with people. It really has resonated with people. Lots of people have been messaging about it. And um, yeah, it's been it's had a really large listenership, this one. I think people are just big fans of, of Graham's work and obviously Blur. Uh, but yeah, and Graham's just such a great, great guy and just really, you know, opened up on the pod, which was lovely. Yeah, I've got one here from Rosie. Her, she's at Honey Wounds on uh, pod, uh, on Twitter. She says, I got teary eye. Uh, oh. I'm going to start that again. I'm going to start that again. Okay. Yeah, I've got one here from Rosie. She's at Honey Wounds. Uh, she says, I've got teary eyed watching the audiogram um, of Graham. Uh, she says it's because it felt like a conversation one can have with a father or something like that. And she's put, oh, Graham, wow. you own a piece of my heart. So that's oh, really, wow. really nice. So, yeah, I think the, 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 the audiogram is, is the bit where Graham was talking about how much uh, music can have an impact on you, mm. you know, when you listen to it. Yeah. And there's that lovely phrase he uses where he says it's like blood coming to the surface in a graze yeah. you know and that, yeah, that was yeah. you know, a lot of people have mentioned that um way yeah. so it could be i'm sure i don't know if it's a lyric in a in a, in a it sounds song, like maybe. it could be but then yeah. when you are someone like that that talented i think that stuff just comes out of you anyway yeah. and in fact going into our episode with jeremy in a minute there are there's a couple of phrases he uses I'll, I'll, I'll mention one at the end of the podcast that really struck me as well but when you are a talented creative person that kind of stuff just flows out of you yeah. think, doesn't it yeah it's beautiful building pictures i love it well, I hope Rosie listened to the rest of that episode and I hope she's listening to this one as well. Yeah. Hopefully that's, that's brought her on board uh, to the Blank family. But thank you very much, Rosie, for that tweet. I think we should delve into this we week's guest with the incredibly talented and incredibly lovely, it's the one and only Jeremy Dyson. dive in if that's all right with you Jeremy. of course yes and how long are we going for or is, is there not a is there not well a there's not a general it? sort of time um so, but if you obviously if you've got to get get off we won't we won't keep you all day <laughs> no 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 <laughs> well, i'm sure we'll have run out of things to talk about before well do you know what it's funny we 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 never do it's funny these 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 pa- these pods and these episodes once you get into it you can most weeks you can end up going for ages. Well, like, it's the wonderful thing about the form, isn't yeah. it? <clears throat> I mean, I'm not the biggest podcast list, podcast listener in the world, so I, it's when something comes to my attention that uh, that I, um, you know, someone says, "Oh, you've got to listen to this," and if they say it about ten times, then I, <laughs> then I do. You know. It seems to be a great way in now for people 
creatives to you know to put out their own work and oh exper- it's extraordinary experiment I mean, with new stuff yeah. you know yeah oh we we have no no idea of the times we're living through it's like it's like the print the printing press press times a thousand <laughs> yeah times a million you know it's it's astonishing do you think if you've been through. doing the league now it would be maybe you'd use something like that as a platform to get your work out. Well, well, we wouldn't be on television, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. So we probably wouldn't have any choice but other than do this. Yeah, I'm, yes, I, I think we, you know, we were always looking to embrace whatever was available to us. Mm. So um, uh, inevitably, we would have been. Yeah. Funnily enough, my comedy career started with cassette, with you know, as it would have done for many of my age, mm. with with, the, with you know, with the technology that was there. You know, I, this, the first writing I, I ever did, although I, you know, I didn't think of it as that way at the time, but I label it like that retrospectively. Was was improvising into a tape recorder with um, my best friend at the time, Steve Cook. Uh, we were both massive comedy fans, and and we improvised our our version of Python sketches, you know, which then became more our own thing, and that was really where comedy started for me. That was, you know, that that was the beginnings of it. Do you still love those so, tapes? I do. In fact, I can I can show you. I keep oh, them on my wow. desk as a little totem. Um, uh, this is uh, look at that, Jez and Amazing. Steve, <laughs> uh, with the letter set, letter set, lettering and everything. Wow. Was that what the app was uh, called, Jez and Steve? Uh, I think we, if it was called, if it was ever dignified with a name, yes. This one says on it uh, very much Python of the time. The Reverend Goebbels collection of hymns and prayers. <laughs> a collection of hymns and prayers for racially pure Methodists. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Have you still but got something lot... you can play them on? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, I have. I've got a... I mean, I'm not, that I, not that I have played them, but... Um, Maybe in my dotage, I'll, uh, I'll I'll get them out and well, listen it, to them. It's quite a fragile form now, the cassette, because you, I just, I mean, I remember, like, I found a load of old, like, um, mixtapes that I'd done for my wife when we were first together, and uh, I, I dread to play them because I just feel that they're going to get chewed up suddenly, you know, it's just, just such a, yeah. it just feels like such a fragile technology. <laughs> yeah, you, and also, I don't know, <laughs> certainly with um, with professional tape, you have to bake it often if it's yes. real, you have to put it in the oven, so I what, don't know if, what? if that really? applies to cassettes. Shove yeah. it in the microwave for... 30 seconds. What, what is yeah, that? Because it goes, it breaks down and it goes all sticky. And, uh, wow. and the, so you have to bake the tapes. We know. really have come a long way with technology, haven't we? <laughs> we certainly have. <laughs> For good or <laughs> That's mad. I didn't know that. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, like, whenever I'm going oh, to get deep really early, I don't know why. Maybe it's something about being in the cabin. Um, but <laughs> cabin fever already. Yeah. You've been in there 10 I, minutes. Mate, I didn't get to bed till half two last night because of work. So I, um, um, yes, it's going to be interesting. What, what were you doing till half two? Well, I two? went to a football match. So it was the first time oh, we were allowed right. to go to football matches um, for a while. But that was in South London. So, and I, I live in Buckinghamshire. Right. So a bit of a way. Then I had to come back, edit a podcast that I do after the match, record the podcast, edit the podcast, and then write an article as well, which I stupidly agreed to do. I don't really know why I agreed to do that. So um, I'm impressed. Yeah. I don't think any of it was very good because I was sort of half asleep at the time, but <laughs> no one's complained yet. Um, so, yeah, I apologise if I'm a bit spacey today. Um, it's probably an improvement. But go on, you were going to get deep. I was going to get deep because I was going to say, we all sort of have this creative journey. I've used the word journey early doors. That, that's never good. Mm. Um, and we all do our thing when it's a thing. So I think we all, the word I'm trying to get towards is adapt. We all adapt towards whatever medium is out there, be it, 
putting yeah. tapes in the microwave or yeah. comedians nowadays who are bashing out stuff on Twitter and TikTok and whatever. Yeah. We all, as creatives, I think you all just adapt to what you can to get your yeah. thing out there. That's right. And well, I mean, because that's what we do as a species. You know, we are tool users. Uh, it's one of the things that defines us. And so, uh, I mean, it's un- and what's unbelievable is how fast, how quickly we adapt, mm. you know, to this technology. Because on paper, you'd think it would take mm. years, but it's like uh, a new technology comes along and uh, and immediately someone's working out how to do that with it. And, uh, and people just jump in and dive in. It's extraordinary. You know, and, and look how fast these technologies come and go. Look at look how quickly we went from magic lanterns to silent movies to, yeah. uh, you know, to then on, then on to analog film and now on to digital uh, in in periods of time that are just insignificant, little little tiny atoms of time. Yeah, the, the slight the slight uh, worry is that as you get older, I found like I just adapt to the latest technology. Like I've I've just got on TikTok. I thought I'm going to try doing that. I'm about a year too late. Because you worry, then the next thing comes along, as you say, because mm. it, we're so quick to move on. So the younger generation are great because they're just, they're just something about there's something about being younger where you're just able to sort of get. Well, they're digital natives, aren't they? That's yeah. what they call it now, digital yeah, natives. Yeah, that, that my my uh, youngest daughter, who's uh, who's thirteen, you know, I watched her teach herself to write on Hairy Phonics on the iPad app. You know, and watching watching her like a monkey with moving a <laughs> finger and working out how. <laughs> It worked, and so you know that she's yeah. That's all she's ever swam in. Yeah. That's her. That's her ocean. That's her water. And so you know she. And obviously, I'm just a figure of fun to her <laughs> in terms of my rudimentary grasp of uh, turning things on and off. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Uh, going back to movies and stuff. I mean, obviously, you've and, and alongside your fellow league members, there seems to be a. a you, a lot of you guys were into sort of hammer horror and were, were mm. you always into sort of the macabre and those mm. sort of those sort of i guess the 60s and 70s kind of horror movies and things was that something you got into at an early age absolutely yeah you know we were it's one of the things that we bonded over as we've as we've all spoken of on various occasions i think that the story that's told is is uh, about us all being able to date uh, uh, and our locations on the same night watching Carry On Screaming <laughs> screened on BBC One um, but yeah absolutely that, that was the case you know we were we, we had a thirst for it um, that we all understand understood in each other yeah. and still understand in each other you know if you're into that, that stuff as you, if you're into anything you seek it out mm. you know you, you're kind of you've got an antenna for it and particularly you know going back to technology again if you think the 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 time we grew up there were only three channels in the Mm. 70s everything was ephemeral there was it was pre-video recorders even uh, when we were little and so you you very quickly got into the habit of scanning the um uh, the tv listings as they were in the either in the radio tv times or just in the newspaper and so anything with any connection to the fantastic be it science fiction or horror would jump out at you and um you know and you would be in front of the television when it was on if you could get in front of the television and so that was our education and one of the things that i've realized i've come to realize in the past few years is how well curated everything was Mm. you know one of the challenges now that must be is is because we because everyone's just swimming in culture you know (laughs) because everything is literally everything is there for you one way or another knowing what to watch where to start is a challenge in itself whereas 
everything was very well selected in terms of what was it was all the you know it's pretty much the best mm. stuff that was put on so when when the bbc2 ran their their late night double horror bills which is where much of our education initially came from uh you know they, those were all the best horror films so you had night of the demon on you had all of val luton 1940s um black and white horrors you know you had the universal horrors you had the hammers so you didn't have to wade through tons of stuff you know to get to the good stuff and and so that we were absolutely formed in in that yeah so i'm sw- swimming in culture that's a radio 4 series isn't it i think i feel, <laughs> I feel like i've definitely if, heard if that yeah. no it's a podcast it's a, pod- it's it's a, a podcast, podcast exactly yeah. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a it's a tiktok <laughs> podcast fusion <laughs> swimming in culture would you name it um yeah would you, I'm just thinking as you're saying, would you guys, because there is so much on now, I, I genuinely do get a bit overwhelmed. And, and as, you, as you were saying earlier, like people say to me, you've got to watch this, you've got to listen to this. And I think, oh, I would like to, and then I sort of never get around to it because I am sort of overwhelmed with everything. Actually, yeah, I, I gave myself permission to, to stop trying to keep yeah, up myself yeah. <laughs> a few years ago. Yeah. I think that's wise. I, I almost would like to go back to the days where there was three channels and someone has curated it for you rather than curating your own netflix playlist someone's done it for you with all the best stuff and takes takes that job out of your hands because it's actually quite tiring and overwhelming to, oh, to yeah. do that well it's it's joni mitchell isn't it you don't know what you've got till it's gone and uh, and, and it was invisible when it was there but it's now that you realize that with somebody's job to do that yeah. and um you know it's funny i'm, I'm forever musing on on actually how profoundly important that was, or at least how, what amazing effect it had, culturally speaking, because uh, I, I, I was a huge, huge music fan as well as a sort of comedy and film person and, you know, grew up very much with factory records and Manchester music scene being jealous of it on the other side of the Pennines <laughs> from where I was growing up in Leeds because there was never a Leeds music scene you know there was uh, but and so you looked enviously at what was going on in Manchester but all those people all uh, those those extraordinary bands that have gone on to define the culture the musical culture and beyond the musical culture they were all formed by those same by that same curation you know these were smart kids working class kids who who wouldn't under other circumstances, easily have access to uh, to sort of Werner Herzog films and <laughs> yeah. um, you know and all the other things that that and Kafka and you know w- watching one one omnibus documentary on BBC Two about William Burroughs you know which they, which they would have done because David Bowie talked about William Burroughs yeah. you know and and it formed it just formed the rest of their lives uh, that's an amazing yeah. thing that 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 happened. You know, and 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 then and that they were kind of activated by that, and their imaginations were activated, and you got this incredible music, um, and so diverse. You know, it's uh, I, yeah, I'm kind of in awe of that when I stop and think about it. Yeah, it's interesting with music because again, like we we don't. I mean, I've I very rarely myself. I'm guilty of this. Listen to an entire album anymore. Mm. Um, yeah, and like you yeah. say, that curation, like those artists that artist or that band or group or whatever has spent a long time i know that because i've been i'm in i've been a band how long it takes to sort of put together a set list of music and how particularly when you're putting an album together how much work and time and effort goes into making sure that it flows in the right way and all this kind of stuff and now we just hit shuffle um yeah and 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 i guess the same can be said for, for, for television as well um do you think there's been a dilution in quality because of that though 
No, no, because there's amazing stuff. Clearly there's amazing stuff. Um, it's harder to hear it or find yeah. it in the noise of the non-amazing stuff. Yeah. So you sort of rely on uh, word of mouth. Um, but also I think because those, cause those formal structures have gone, like it's on nine o'clock on a Wednesday, that, that's, take that scaffolding away makes it harder if you're a busy person to get to it. I think yeah. that's the thing. I mean, it's le- it's less hard if you you know if you've if you've got more time, um, but you know once you've got kids and and uh, and a, jo- a busy job, then time is of a premium, and you're lucky if you've got an hour in the evening before you fall asleep, yeah. or at least that's my <laughs> what I find. And so you know the idea that you would sit down at nine o'clock on a Wednesday night and there'd be something on BBC One after the news that was worth watching, but it was only on once a week. It was kind of easier to be pulled along in the slipstream of that, I think, than than it, it is now, where more more of a conscious choice has to be made, um, and you can just be overwhelmed by that choice. As uh, you know, we, that's the, that's another spirit of the age, isn't it? Being overwhelmed by choice everywhere. I mean, if you if you make music and you're in a band, you know all about that, Giles. With um, you know, just the software that's available, yeah. and uh, you know, and what what that does to creativity, because you know, it can be hard to play a tune because you're choosing which plugin to. <laughs> I know what uh, you know. What, yeah, yeah, what guitar pedal am I going to? You know, what out of the gazillion of well, and, and even more so now with processors and things, and you can just jump on Logic, and it's got gazillions of different guitar sounds, and you spend actually most of the time coming up with the perfect guitar sound and not actually writing yeah, yeah. music. Yeah, when I, when I used to play in bands and certainly when I was in, uh, in like my first proper band, you know, you had your, I had my two keyboards and my one phaser pedal yeah. and, that yeah. was, and that was that, you know. And uh, uh, But now, now, now we sound like the four Yorkshiremen sketch. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, we do. Inevitably, <laughs> as middle-aged men, what else can you do? I know. It's funny enough, I chose, when I, when I first joined the band, I, I was very... Um, insistent on not having many guitar effects or anything i just had a noise gate suppressor thing so i could you know take away that horrible rumble sound and and a tuner and i would be like let's just try and rely on the the raw sound of the amp and stuff i think it was probably more laziness and not knowing how to use those things uh like the idea of having a chorus pedal or a phaser or something would just like overwhelm me slightly so but actually there may be something to be said for really stripping stuff back and just relying on your on your gut playing and uh and yeah so that's interesting but yeah i think these days i I find i do get a bit overwhelmed with all the different things that i can make it sound like i mean i think you know i think it was ever thus in one way or another but i think that but there's but there are so many distractions and Mm. so many and not least the one we all carry around in our pocket you know in forms of our phone which again is the most unbelievable piece of technology that you could imagine isn't it amazing that i mean speaking as a science fiction fan that for all the things that science fiction novels have predicted nobody i never read anything the only thing that came close was the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy but but you know that barely scratches the surface of of what that what that phone actually is and what it actually can do yeah we never got flying cars or or hoverboards but we got actually (laughs) something way better in our pockets yeah it's actually it is a bit mind-blowing actually when you think about how good it is but just going back to what you guys are saying about you know Giles talking about the, the, the pedals and stuff I think there is a beauty in simplicity because 
you know, for example, if you take a song that someone's like really overproduced and they've added loads of layers and stuff to it, but then they play an acoustic version of that song at a gig, it's still as good. And that's it mm. completely stripped down. So really at the core of it, even if we didn't have all these options to make things, we would still make good stuff. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely it does. And I, I often think about that, you know, what what would be the essence for me? You know, what, what would I be all right with? And I kind of think if I've got, you know, a pen and a paper, well, at least I could, I could write a story, you know. And, uh, and even without the pen and paper, you could probably kind of make it up as if you're in some Soviet gulag and <laughs> memorise it word by word, you know. I can't keep yourself keep yourself safe. Yeah. I can't do that. My memory is so bad. My memory is absolutely <laughs> awful. I have to keep making. I have to make notes everywhere. I don't know about you guys. I have to make notes on my phone and like notes on my little notepads. And then yeah, then I go back the next day. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. What the hell have I written? That makes absolutely no sense. But no, that's very sensible though. That's a good strategy. That's. A, I've I've learned long ago to keep pens and paper everywhere yeah. or yeah. pencils and paper everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Otherwise, you forget yeah. it. Don't you? Was writing always something that you had a passion for? I mean, when you were at school, what was what were your kind of strengths and weaknesses at school? What was, I think <laughs> Sounds like an interview. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought we'd go that way. <laughs> I, want, I want your CV. Uh, <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years' time? <laughs> yeah. uh, I work well as part of the team. But, um, no, I was... Uh, well, funnily enough, I didn't think of myself as a writer. I, I didn't think I was going to be a writing never really occurred to outside of the comedy which as I say I didn't really think I was writing it was more oh no that's just making up comedy sketches mm. um I did I certainly didn't think of my that I was gonna um write fiction which I which I've gone on to do and um you know or more I don't know what you call it serious stuff but um uh, no, I, but I did. I was always interested in film and television. It was film, TV, and music mm. when I was at school. I, I guess I, I had a vague idea that I'd go towards television production or being involved in films in some way. I mean, the very first thing I wanted to be was a special effects man. Oh, oh, I wanted okay. to do, do sort of, uh, um, you know, I loved Ray Harryhausen oh, stop amazing, motion yeah. stuff, and uh, I got taken to see two thousand and one when I was about seven. And that had a, that was a formative thing. So I sort of wanted to make model spaceships. And so yeah, my first, that was my first passion was was movie special effects. And then when I was sort of thinking, well, what could you do that's that's realistic? Then you know, television. At least, although we didn't know anyone growing up in Leeds who had anything to do with any aspect of it. So it was from a parents' point of view, it was a pipe dream kind of thing. Um, I sort of knew that you could go and do film and TV courses. There were a few back then um so that was that was my vague idea and then um uh, and then what happened was i went to art college to uh, when i left school to, to do a foundation course with a view to going on to doing um, a film production course and then in my in my final project which was a, a, a hysterically funny unintentionally hysterically <laughs> funny, um uh installation where the the art the we covered the uh the art lecture theatre in string um the, exactly the kind of thing you do on art foundation <laughs> courses um i as part of that i, I did a, i'd done a notebook to go with it so that when they were coming around when, when on the exhibition people could leaf through the notebook to find out why we'd covered the uh, lecture theatre in string and um uh, but in that i'd kind of written some little short stories i guess uh, and i don't know why i'd done that but i just had and then loads of people kept coming up to me and saying, oh, oh, that's good. Oh, you should do more of that, um, which surprised me. And then around the same time, uh, 
I read a book called um, a book. I was very into horror fiction, and it was a book of short stories by Ramsey Campbell, who who um, became a hero of mine after I read that book. That it was like a that was a proper epiphany. It was like a light bulb going on. I read this book of short stories called Dark Companions, and by the time I got to the end, I thought that's what I want to wow. do. I want to write stories like that. And immediately, I sat down and and kind of wrote a copy of one of those stories um sort of my version of it and kept on doing it and it was it was weird it was like a proper vocational thing because i i was caricatured as being lazy when i was at school um you know i was not conscientious and uh, my attention wandered so the idea of kind of seeing through writing a story it was it was not who i thought i was um, but I kept doing it. I kept, you know, quite diligently writing these stories. Not, not. I used to read them out to friends. So, so Andy Nyman, for example, who I was friends with back then, would come up, come up and stay, and I would read him the story, a story that I'd written. Wow. Um, in a very unselfconscious. It sort of sounds quite pretentious, but it wasn't. It was just I don't know. I didn't even think about it. I just thought oh, I've I've written the story. I'll read it out, um, and you know, I used to do it to friends at university and. It became quite a regular thing. Um, so and so that's when I realised, I sort of discovered, it was a discovery that, that oh, that, that's in me. And, and in me to the extent that it makes me, it, it makes me do it, sort of against, uh, against my better nature, <laughs> you might <laughs> how, say. How did it make you feel, though, doing, suddenly discovering this skill, but actually doing the writing and then actually performing it to friends? Well, how did you feel? It was a good feeling, you know, it was it was something that I was proud of. I was I mean, at the same time, I, I, I was playing in um, in the band in Flowers for Agatha and we were and actually that was the thing that looked like most likely to go because we 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 sort of had started getting radio airplay and it was beginning to you thought, oh, something's going to come of that. So this was very much a sideline. Mm. It wasn't like something that I thought was going to be. It was more of a hobby, I guess, maybe. But at the same time, I was thinking about it seriously enough because I would fantasise then about, you know, I was very into Clive Barker at the time, so he was a bit of a hero then, and I sort of would probably fantasise about oh, having my doing my version of the Books of Blood or something, and um, so it was it was serious enough for me to stick with it, and and it began to form uh, across those years when I was after because I ended up not going to do film and tv production I went to do I did philosophy instead another mysterious choice that I can't <laughs> quite understand but then ended up sort of has ended up making sense retrospectively you know it's sort of um uh it didn't it did that didn't come together for me until the third year and then I got it in the third year and and absolutely loved it and it's sort of you know that's another interest that's still with me really yeah it's just very interesting isn't it that you can sort of head in one direction or plan to head in one direction. And yet, oh God, I'm getting deep again. Um, life, <laughs> life sort of, what am I talking about? Life sort of has these little things. Like I, don't, I don't believe in like fate and stuff like that, but like, it's like what is meant for you will, will kind of come into your sphere well, at some point. The, you must, yeah, there's, there are larger, there really are larger yeah, forces involved. Yeah. There are, you know, and I'm not, I'm not speaking in a, in a religious yeah. way necessarily. I'm just saying that the, that we're all kind of embedded in something bigger um, and and we're also all only conscious of a very small proportion of who we are. I mean, and again, nothing mysterious about that. You you speak to a friend and ask them to describe your 
four worst points. <laughs> and if they're a good and honest friend, they'll yeah. tell you and you'll have no idea <laughs> yeah. about three of them. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> which is a, to demonstrate how we're just not conscious of, you know, what the little bit that we live in is not all of who we are. And, uh, you know, that bigger bit, which we're not conscious of, has a lot to say in what we do. And um, and I guess that's what was going on there for me in terms of the writing. And, uh, you know, that's why these things often are a discovery or, or they seem to come from outside of you, you know, in, in terms of opportunity. Like, well, an example of that with the league is so that, so you know, my involvement with that group of people, this group of people, came because... Um, when I was at university, my great friend Gordon, who I'd been at school with, who was my big music friend, um, he had discovered, again, had no inkling of it at school, but he had discovered a yen and an ability for drama. And um, because he'd failed one of his A-levels and he went and did drama A-level as an extra top up, you know, when we left sixth form and then discovered he was brilliant. He was he discovered he was the he was a really brilliant actor and director. And um, it was a similar kind of thing. It was such a shock to him. He'd never been, had any involvement with any kind of uh, school plays or anything like that. And, and um, anyway, he, he then went to, to Bretton Hall after he'd done that A-level, um, which was the, down the road from us in Leeds, to go and do a drama degree. And he, uh, in his first week there, had met Mark Gatiss and, and he, he rang me immediately and said, oh, I've met this guy. You've, you've got to meet him. He's just like you, and he's got, or he's he's interested in all the same things as you, all the same weird things is what is what he meant. There's another and, you. Um, yeah, there's another you in the universe. But of course, if anybody tells you that, you tend to bristle because mm-hmm. nobody likes being pigeonholed in that way. And so I sort of resisted um, meeting Mark, but Gordon was insistent. He would, he, he was like a dog with a bone, and he he kind of set up a blind date. You know, where, um, that that. Christmas and he'd got Mark to he'd invited Mark to stay with him in Leeds and um uh and I think it was it was New Year's Eve and and invited me and that's when I met Mark yeah so uh, you know it was thanks to Gordon who for whatever reason ha- thought well I, I've got to introduce him to him and um uh you know and that was and then uh, of course i hit it we hit it off with mark straight away i was about to say yeah gordon got it right gordon knew who he was talking he about did get it right. yeah. well and you know as as we've spoken of elsewhere as well quite often you know gordon was instrumental in in getting us all together because we were then after drama school he he went on actually he moved to drama school in london and then after and when everyone finished everyone headed down to london and it was a group of people and gordon had a gordon started a theater company with uh, steve pemberton called 606 and put, put, started putting on terrific plays, the really good stuff. They sort of found really odd, unusual, forgotten pieces and put them on in pub theatres. Gordon directed them, on, or Steve did, and um, so and Mark was part of that, and Reese was part of that, and that was and the league kind of came out of that because um, Gordon had everyone was working together in different groupings and pairings. So I was writing stuff with Mark. Um, Steve and Reese were writing together. I think Steve and Mark had written a play, to, a one-act play together. Everyone was sort of trying, experimenting in different combinations, and it was Gordon that said, "Oh, you should pool your resources. You should all work together on something." And um, he encouraged us to, and he did. That there was a slot coming up uh, at a theatre festival, and uh, and he he said, "Look, put on, do a sketch show." 
and um, work together. And that was the that was the first thing we we did. So that came out of six oh six that that theatre company. I've got I've I've just as you were talking there about about meeting Mark, I've got you know how these days there are like a lot of terrible cringeworthy um, game shows on TV. I'm just thinking yeah. one you get a friend who you know would like another friend and it's called you should be friends and we get these people to meet <laughs> on set well, that's like that's like mark wooden's brilliant do you remember mark wooden's brilliant thing his first thing my be- my new best friend did you ever <laughs> no. see that oh that was fantastic that was a it was i think it was channel four it was uh, about 15 years ago and and mark was basically would come up with a character uh, and then but it was a reality show <laughs> where he would pretend to be someone else's best friend and if they if they could go along with it for a period of time they would win a substantial amount of money oh. and he and he would be a but he would be a monster yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Mark, i can imagine mark being like these horrible and, large and, and you know characters. how fi- how fearless he is yeah, when he goes yeah. into that mode and like you know same as um as sasha baron cohen it's that same kind yeah, of thing yeah. isn't it of disappearing into a character and just going for it and and i mean some of those they were brilliant oh that sounds you know, great but yeah so yeah it's like just like your pitch, <laughs> except you're saying i think we often like you know if we've meet, met someone that we really get on with we want our other friends to get to know them and you know all be friends together i think that's quite a, you know I, I i i often do that if i've you know there's new people i really kind of click with and you just think oh i really want my other friends mm. to be friends with them like you say, sometimes it the other friend... It doesn't always work. No, though, no, because the other friend, like you say, the other friend's like, hmm, not sure about this new person in your life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it doesn't always work. No, you're right. Um, it's so, I mean, obviously it's so great that it did in that, in your case. Were you still doing the band stuff at that time as well, though? Were you still playing with... I was in I was in another, another band. Oh, okay. Um, so I, called Rudolph Rocker, who, who yeah, yeah. actually ended up uh, having... Um, an overlap with uh, with the league in that we did uh, we did Les McQueen's music, so we did. Um, oh really? Voodoo, Voodoo Lady was that was actually a Rudolph Rocker. Is it? Original. I've never knew yeah. that. That's amazing. Uh, that me and Mark then wrote the words for um, <laughs> because it was an instrumental. It was a Rudolph Rocker instrumental. Uh, so yes, and, and actually the, it was it was one of those things where uh, again th- th- we were starting to have some success with Rudolph Rocker because. Um, John Peel, bless him, was a was a was a fan. Wow! And so the f- the first album, he did that wonderful thing where he played the whole album over a week. Amazing! Like two tracks a night or something. And um, uh, so and then, but then sadly, when the when we did the second album, it, he died just before oh. the second album came out. So, uh, which was a tragedy all round, of course. But um, uh, so yes, the band was running, but but of course I had to make a choice once the league started mm, yeah. coming fully to life, which was a, which was difficult because because uh, I loved the music, but I it was a head and heart thing, but I, obviously, but my heart was in both as well. Yeah. But in the end, you know, the league had such a pull that it wasn't even really a choice. It was it was well, I I have to go this way, so um, and that's what I did. Yeah. But we still, you know, Rudolph Rocker wise, they carried, they they did a third album without me, which was which was gorgeous, and they still, uh, and we still come together intermittently as as elderly men. That's a great name for a band. It is a good name for a band. He, Rudolph Rocker was a, a he was a political figure. He was one of the um, you have to look him, you look him up. Yeah, but that Mark the singer is uh, he Mark's a, he's now um, an academic. He's a 
He's a senior lecturer at um, Bradford University in art, in art history, and he's uh, a very learned man. <laughs> so, he, yeah, it's, it's full of... It, the band was full of great jokes like that, you know, things that sounded silly that were oh, actually amazing. deeply political. I'm going to Google... He was working on lots of levels then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of that, I think it's like, you know, you go on YouTube and search up Rudolf Rocker, there'll be, there'll be some yeah. music there. There's even, there's, there's even Flowers for Agatha for those, if anyone is, is that curious. Wow, amazing. Uh, Flowers for Agatha can be found on Rudolf Rocker, I mean, on YouTube as well. Do you still write and play a little bit, though? Just for fun. Yeah. Uh, and on my own, you know, my I have a, a hobby. If I grab an hour or a couple of hours of free time on a Saturday, it will be noodling with my keyboards, yeah. Um, and I have a fantasy one day about, you know, I mean, no, well, I mean, I say that I still do. So when we were doing Ghost Stories, the film, mm. I, I, I actually did did do a little bit of sound design, you know, someone. So I was able to bring some of that in into uh, into it because it was it was very actually ended up being useful when we were in the edit and we needed to throw um, soundscapes and sound effects together quickly. I could do that because I'm versed in the enough in the music software to be able to, um, you know, generate such things, and and that was really useful actually. Um, just doing temporary soundtracks and stuff, and so and some of that and bits, the odd bit did end up in the finished film underneath a professional, <laughs> you know, buried beneath it. Yeah, but it's nice to add those touches yeah. as well, though I think yeah. you know, and to, to oh, yeah. bring another yeah. thing to the party. I think that's that's great. Is that something you'd like to do more of? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, as I say, I I sort of harbour the fan the fantasy yeah. of doing it a bit more, doing you know, being like John Carpenter and doing your own soundtrack. Oh yeah, I mean, did everything, John Carpenter. I mean, like... and it's amazing. And <laughs> yeah. when, when I love it when Mark, I think in Mark's documentary when he when he speaks to him and he he questions him on that, and 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 John Carpenter gives him this look that says, "I must have been insane to even <laughs> yeah. try to do that because of the weight that you have to carry. Yeah. You know, of, of not only have you got to make the thing, but." you've got to do the score as well it's uh, i think robert rodriguez it, does that as well he scores and cuts and produces yeah. does the whole thing i think that's just such yeah, an undertaking a, isn't it there's a few that do it there's mm. um uh the guy that did the others the spanish director whose name oh, i can't remember pedro almodovar is it mm, no uh, it's alessandra someone or other uh, anyway he yeah. he does his own scores and uh mike figgis british director yes, yeah. he used to do his own scores i believe um more jazz inflected so yeah, there are there are some people that that are able to do it. That's an interesting quote. Um, being a bit insane because I think, as creatives, I think we're all a little bit insane because we're, we're we've oh, yeah. chosen this completely uncertain, weird path. <laughs> yeah. path. It'd, it'd be lots of punishment. Yeah, it would be a lot easier <laughs> just to be like, I'm just going to do like a nine to five, which obviously I think about every day. But but I think there is a little <laughs> bit of sort of uh, loose wiring upstairs that makes us want to do what we do yeah well i think it, it's not a want is it it's a need yeah. i guess uh in the sense of otherwise because you wouldn't really choose it in that sense i don't maybe i think it does sort of has it have its way with you yeah. really uh, i mean there's certainly yeah there are think there are aspects of it that yeah as you say are insane yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love that that story it's a story my accountant told me actually about which because i didn't see it but there was a tv program where um uh, what was he called? Um, uh, the businessman is it? Um, is it Digby Jones? Is that the? Is that really no, good name? Though. Anyway, we'll go with Digby it was Jones. A t- it was a TV show with a businessman where he would go into businesses 
and he was like a you know a top successful businessman and he would go it's a bit like um uh, ramsey's kitchen right oh, okay you know, he'd yeah, go yeah. In, he'd go into a failing business and then turn it round. and and there was one episode where he went into a tv production company and uh and at the end of it, he just looked at them and said, "You're all insane. This isn't this isn't a business." And, uh, and that's about right, because yeah, because you, you can't predict anything. Yeah. It's, you can't you can't think about what you do in those terms. Well, my the- my theory anyway is that anyone that puts themselves forward as a as a business person or an expert in business is a complete bullshitter anyway. There's no, there's no such thing. <laughs> I refuse to believe business is a thing i just it doesn't it seems like complete bollocks and they're all just chances and maybe i should try it because maybe i'll actually succeed in that world i don't know but it just i don't i refuse to believe that business is is a thing i have i have a fantasy about it where i i I sometimes pretend i'm running a business you know and um and i i buy these books uh i've got a few on the shelf i look up there there's the little book of business wisdom is one books about management and you know and i'll kind of the the idea that maybe there's a strategy for sort of doing what one does or there's a more business way of going i think, about I think being it. a businessman is just putting on a suit and telling people what to do i don't actually think you need any qualifications or even know anything i think it's just it's, just, it's a look it's a, it's a state of mind. It's a mood. It's not actually a skill. I've probably just alienated a lot of business people. I apologise. Yeah, yeah. What about all your what about all your business? Yeah, no. Sure, we got first class carriages. That's half the listenership gone. <laughs> yeah, when they're first class on Virgin Airways while they're listening or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, but but I know this is because I know that I am, and it's taken me a, a while to realise that I am a creative person. So that is not a world that I'm plugged into. It's not my thing. And that's fine. I am a creative person who does what I do, whatever that is. But Yeah, and you want you need to embrace who you are. Yeah. You've got to There's that great quote from Dolly Parton, isn't there? Find find out who you are and do it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's a good quote. Yeah. Yeah, which is a good it's as good a thing as any to I mean that's one of the things I've kind of learned from um March Stephen Reese as yeah. well. Or had confirmed mm, yeah. by by them, yeah, because you know, they're they're all each of them exemplary at doing that um, in their particular in the, the post league careers. You know, they've just gone after. They just do what they do. Mm. Yeah, it it take it takes it takes confidence, though, doesn't it? I think it takes yeah. it takes a sort yeah. of combination of sort of resilience and confidence and sort of bloody mindedness to crack on because it's not always plain sailing. You know, it's, it can be really difficult. It's never, it's no, never okay, it's never, never. I was being quite generous to myself there. Um, no, it's not. Even the even the good times are tough because you're worrying this is going to end soon at some point. This isn't going to get yeah, recommissioned or whatever. And so that yeah, you're right. It's 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 constantly tough. But you, I think if you're someone that's still doing it, and you maybe feel like maybe you lack a bit of self confidence, well, you you have it because you're still there doing it to some degree, even if it doesn't feel like you do. Yeah, that's probably true. You've got to be standing on something solid to get you that far, or else, yes, you would have you would be doing something else by now. I think that's probably yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. What were those first early days of doing um, the league stuff? Because you were performing then as well with them. Only in that very first yeah. show, actually. Uh, I it was so clear to me at the end of that first show that 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 the the, the, the sort of stage side of it was the three of them because because I wasn't an actor or performer mm. in the in that way. And um, whilst I enjoyed the fun of being on stage and, you know, the tinsel of it, it wasn't it wasn't what I was interested in. Um, And so it was it was a straightforward thing to think, Okay, well, no, I can see that this is 
them and then you know and then we work we write it together and then so it and then and then actually and then once it because my interest was in production and making stuff then once we started doing in the tv shows uh you know i very naturally drifted into or well, not even drifted but kind of got pulled into that that side of it so it, it actually it, that work that was very useful because it meant that that there was one of us embedded in in production yeah. and li- you know liaising between front stage and backstage but in terms of the early days of it you know and uh, and those early shows it was very exciting it was it was it, as you would imagine i mean it was you know it was all the other things as well of the before you were before you were noticed um there was all the frustration that went with not being noticed and um you know and all all the doubts of of that i mean i can remember for for example of of that was we were what one that christmas one christmas whenever it was probably in 95 or something there was um paul calf's video diary was on oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. steve mm-hmm. coogan's the first, the first paul calf one and i remember mark ringing me and saying that's it we've missed the boat <sighs> Because it was because it was sort of everything that we wanted to do, mm. or it was an that was certainly an aspect of everything that we wanted to do. It was that fusion of um, of drama, that sort of Mike Lee inspired yeah. fusion of naturalistic drama and absurd comedy, um, full of detail, and that was the, that was the template that we had. And so you know that that, that sort of thing was happening a lot, thinking that you were you you were going to be left behind or that you would lose your your shot at it. Um, but then Reese always says to me, there was something I said to him, which I don't remember as well as he does, of um, an early show when we were on, we sat on the beach in Brighton. We did a, did a show at the Comedia in Brighton. And um, and it, me and him were sat on the beach together. And I apparently said to him, the only thing that can stop us is mm. us. In other words, if we decided to give up, you know, if if we kind of lost faith in ourselves, because if we keep going, we will get somewhere because it because it's good, you know. And and uh, and I could certainly look at what the three of them were doing as performers, and you know, and see. It was easy for me to see how good they were, and um, you know, regardless of of my, aside from what my contribution, and so. Uh, you know, so yeah, the thing is, it's always you always get both aspects bound up together, and that's nothing's changed. It's still like that now with everything I do. You know, you get the excitement, and you get the doubt, and uh, that combination. You can't have one without the other, I think. But that's also what keeps it interesting. You know, you can't possibly get bored with it because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's very true. Uh... Well, we've said this before, haven't we? I think Giles in the pod that, yeah, if you, it's sort of like if you give up. I'm not sure where I'm going with this. Go on, say it. <laughs> say the thought. You can always edit. You can always edit. We it don't. Out. We don't edit anything. Unfortunately, no. we we leave all. We leave <laughs> all the. Well, you're having a blank moment. All the rubbish thing in. <laughs> well, it's just it's just as you were sort of saying that quote that you sort of said but had half forgotten. I, it resonates with me massively because I feel the exact same way. Yeah, there are so many frustrations to doing what we do and there are so many moments where you think oh, I just, I'm just going to give up I can't be bothered anymore but there are so but you know in that moment there are so many possibilities still out there and yeah. there's so much time yeah. still like there's still there's still plenty we, we could all be doing this 
into our final day. And, and you know, and you, and you know, you look at other creative people, and and one of that's another lovely thing about it is you don't retire yeah. from it. Mm. You know, because you don't want LA, because you don't want to. As long as there's enough people out there that still have any kind of in, some kind of interest in what you're doing, and. Um, but that doesn't need to be a lot of people, you know, for for it to be worthwhile. It just needs to be some people, um, and so it's yes, it, it's definitely uh, it's definitely part of the part of the joy of it. Yeah, yeah, you you yeah, you're right. You can't have one without the other. You need. I was talking to a footballer yesterday. Sorry, I do I do bring football into literally every every episode somehow. But he was a guy called Jeff Thomas, who's played Palace legend legend of the club mm. and um but he was i was saying like how do you get through like being a footballer and he was like well you don't the high you don't get too high with the highs and you don't get too low with the lows and i think that actually that is good advice for life and anything really it's like in creativity you will have these amazing moments amazing gigs amazing opportunities and you need to enjoy them but also you know it's just it's just one wave in your journey yeah it's, it's kipling isn't it it's tri- it's triumph and disaster yeah. those are those brilliant wise words in um in the poem if um me and, me and andy are forever uh, uh, you know uh, uh, reflecting on that because because it yeah you, you do have to learn to ride it out because you know you can't have you can't put a show on without having an opening night or or, or, or make a movie without having an opening weekend and then uh, they're always agony um <laughs> but they're also always also exciting and you know it's all bound up together and it's addictive yeah that's for yeah. sure well, I th- and a compulsion as well. I think like yeah. writing, I, yeah. I I know is a com- yeah. you know, it was every time I think I'm not going to do another book, and then I'm saying yeah. that in the middle of like <laughs> writing out another one. Um, so it's a, it is a compulsion, I think, as well. And I think that's, yeah. but that's a cool, that's a nice thing, and that's that's the exciting bit is that actually, yeah, you're compelled to do this this thing, and it's um, that's what makes it exciting, I think, for me. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's a sort of like I said earlier, it's a need. Yeah. Uh, it's a requirement, yeah, and 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 you know so much is about trying to find what your true place is, you know, which we, because there, there can be a big difference between it's one you know when you when you're younger you tend to be or I tended to be a lot more ego led and no you so you want to you you think you want to be in the place where you're going to get maximum adulation or yeah. notice or all those things that you fantasize about as a creative. And then one of the things that comes with age is is realizing there's a bit more to it than that, and um, and actually of of greater value is getting into the spot that that's that's mm. your spot, mm. which isn't necessarily the one that's that's um, you know that either has the biggest audience or the or the best reviews or uh, so so. But it's a different it's a different thing. It's got a different quality yeah, to it, yeah. and it's that and you know and and. and but going after that is a is a thing in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's very true. Finding that creative sweet spot. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it before, but that it is, and actually, I think a lot of time also creating things that you really want to do. I mean, funny that does lead me on to my what I was going to ask you about ghost stories because obviously mm. you came a bit full circle with that with regards to your you know the things that you liked as a as a younger a younger man, and obviously mm. you started doing that. How did that come about the the stage play, but obviously the movie as well. Um, well, that that again was that was a call from Andy. So Andy, you know, has, has been a dear friend of mine since I was fifteen, and we met at um, at Jewish summer camp of all places, and uh, where where we shared a dormitory and um, 
and just hit it off on the first night for the all the same reasons I hit it off with Mark Stephen Rees, you know, in terms of having those, those share that shared love of of horror movies and uh, dirty jokes. Andy had a collection of rag mags <laughs> that he brought with him, and uh, he was reading out rugby songs. I think, that and um, <laughs> so you know, and, and, and so yeah, we, we'd been a fixture in each other's lives from there on in. But but professionally, we'd gone off on these different paths. I mean, Andy was always an actor. Even when I first met him, he was doing like Leicester Little Theatre or whatever. And, you know, he, he was doing acting at quite a high level. And uh, and he went on and he did, he did a drama at Sixth Form College and then he went to drama school. He went to um, Guildhall in London. So so he was on that path when I was going on mine. And uh, so then and then you know then I was doing the league and he, he was acting and and then he also had got into magic too and um, which was another thing that we shared we uh, 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 he says that I was partly responsible for switching on to that because I was very active as a magician um, when oh. I was young. Well, who were the sort of acts you were into then? Magician. As a, as a um, well I, I well I used to do uh, a, a, I used to do children's magic. So oh I used okay. To do, I used to do magic shows right through from being about 12 or 13. I was working most weekends doing, oh, doing magic shows. Uh, and I used to, that's how I funded my record edition. <laughs> so I, would, you know, I would go and do a magic show and then go and spend it all in Jumbo <laughs> Records in Leeds and building a, a record card. So what, what kind of tricks were you doing? Were they mainly card tricks or were you doing like rabbits? No, no, it was all proper kid stuff. It was, uh, so I, so I, I'd sort of there so once you once you make that decision of getting into magic properly I, or I discovered there's this whole parallel world of conjurers uh, that you that, that that lay people have no awareness of um because they have their own like private or well, back, back then they did pre-internet if you wanted to find out about that stuff it was all you know it was all kind of but word of mouth so there was a magic I found out about a magic magazine called the magigram which you would subscribe to I'd read about it in the back of a magic book I got from oh, like Smiths, and you write off to this address in in Biddeford, Devon. And, <laughs> it's very um, cloak and dagger. Isn't it? <laughs> it is very cloak and dagger, and and then you discover that there's this is the world of the professional magician, because that was that was where all the knowledge was mm. shared, and you could only get at it if you subscribed to one of these publications. And then, and then, then they have these vast catalogues of you can't believe how many books, and it's like literally like a whole of a shadow publishing industry. <laughs> and um, and then, of course, there were magic shops. I mean, you you knew I knew about Davenport's in London because I'd been in there. But so so anyway, via that, I'd sort of put together a proper act, which was you know with all the professional props of um, like you know of uh, pictures of rabbits and sort of and. Uh, vanishing dice boxes and all the things that I'd loved as a kid. Um so that that was where that that was where I got all the stuff from. Yeah, and it was it was it was big props, you know, kind of nicely decorated. Um so anyway, that that was uh, we're, we're back on to those <laughs> yeah, So yeah, I was yeah. <laughs> I've been in that world for, you know, since I was 12 and I turned Andy onto it. I think Andy had always had an interest in it when he was a kid, but he I turned him onto that side of it when we were in our early twenties, and uh, and I first moved to London, and um, and he but he then got bitten so bad. I mean, literally, you know, I we'd got I'd taken him to a magic convention. Within a year, he was doing his own act. Wow. I went to go. I went to see him in Greece. He was he was performing professionally in Greece, a production of Greece in Oxford, I think it was, and um, this was nineteen ninety two. And after the show. 
he did his own cabaret. Oh wow! Um, doing doing the most professional magic act you've ever seen, kind of comedy mind reading. It was wow. brilliant, and it was like that was within the space of about eighteen months, going from nothing <laughs> to, and very quickly, I kind of he get, then got into the the world of of London magic. You know, he joined the Magic Circle. He was in that. What he was like right at the top of that world, and um, so by the and then of course he got involved with Darren Brown and he was hyper instrumental in all of um, Darren's work on TV oh. in, the, in the, the first phase of that and then directing he still directs uh, Darren's live shows, um, so so that you know there was all that history and he'd been doing that and doing his his acting career as well, I've been doing the league and whatever else I've been doing doing Funland and. Um, uh, various other things post league, uh, Armstrong and Miller, and he uh, he rang me out of the blue and said, oh, "I had this idea." For, he said I was walking past. Uh, I've been to see the vagina monologues. Been to see the vagina monologues, and, he, uh, and uh, which, for those that don't know, is a play. It's three women kind of sat on chairs talking about their lady parts, and um, they. He said he said it's such a great model. He said because it's. It costs nothing to stage. Mm, yeah. They don't even have to learn the lines because they read it out of a, you know, a, <laughs> yeah. a, a, f- a file folder, and so you can put anyone you want in it. You know, he said, and I thought, and then he said, and the other thought I'd had was I was walking through the West End past the Woman in Black and thinking, why is there only one scary show on in all of the West End? It's crazy, you know, particularly because the Woman in Black is been such a, is such a hit, mm. uh, and has been running for thirty years or whatever. Why has no one ever put another scary show on? And and he'd had these two thoughts, and he said, "Would you be interested in working on on something?" And I was doing as always, you know, as always as any of us are. I was doing many other things yeah. at the time, but I, but I but I thought that's a terrific idea, and also that would be so much fun. Mm. And I did have at the back of my mind this memory of Andy uh, about. Because when about ten years earlier than that, so about late nineties, Andy had done a had staged with Professor Richard Wiseman an Edwardian séance at um, the old House of Correction in Clerkenwell, the old debtors' prison that used to be a, a tourist attraction, and it, 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 they they'd done it like a proper Edwardian séance with using all the techniques that fake mediums use, and. Um, to sort of demonstrate how that, those things work. But when it got to the point where they turned out all the lights and that they did the, the actual seance bit and you had kind of bells floating in midair and it was the most exciting thing. I, I, could, I'd rem- I remember thinking, this is absolutely brilliant. This is so exciting and, and scary and terrifying. Wouldn't it be amazing to sort of tell a story mm. in that environment or in that way? And that... that had lodged at the back of my mind and had been really sort of been with me ever since. So that when he rang up with this call, that then I I remembered that and thought, well, I wonder if we could take the spirit of that. So it was different from the thing of three people sitting on chairs and just like Dave Allen mm-hmm. telling the scary story. It was more of like, what if we made a, you know, uh, if we sort of made a number out of it. And so it was those that those were the things that collided. And then we it all came together quite quickly well no we didn't do anything for a year <laughs> well no for a year we what we did was we emailed each other back and forth and i sort of sent him um 
my favorite ghost stories and he sent me little bits of stuff uh, of stuff that he was interested in and and there was stuff that he'd written and so we were firing ideas back and forth and then then the the, the absolute piece of kismet was a great friend of Andy's was Sean Holmes was a director that he'd worked with you know, and Sean had just got the job running the lyric and Andy had been talking to him about had been pitching this idea even though we it was very there was wasn't really anything formed there and Sean was really sort of got it even you know even in its embryonic form and so he asked us if we'd be interested in putting it on at the lyric and then that that was the thing that galvanized it and so we wrote we wrote a an outline and he loved it and it, that's where it came from and so um uh, so that was how ghost story started it was the same kind of thing as as the same experience of the lead really of it growing out of our you know passion and interest and and the thing that we loved more than anything else in the world yeah that's a that's a nice sort of natural way for it to grow but that that world yeah. as well i think is you, you're mm. you're right about it being mad there's only one show on at the time because I think it is a world that a lot of people find interesting and exciting even if they don't know it you know I mean it's one of those things that I think people do like even yeah. if they don't they wouldn't say they do but I think actually yeah. Yeah. it's one of those things that everybody has got a little bit of interest in yeah and I think that the promise of it yeah. you know of kind of all oh, going into the dark and having a thrill that was absolutely what we found with the um, you know the show almost from the opening yeah. night it, when we opened it in Liverpool. We opened it in Liverpool, and um, you could feel it yeah. in the audience when they ke- when they came in. They were yeah, up for it, yeah. you know, and and it was a moment in time as well because because everything digital was just starting to go crazy. There was you felt it felt like there was a premium on live experience, yeah. you know, on things that actually weren't on a screen, and. Uh, that was part of the the hunger for it too was was oh this is you have to actually go to the theater (laughs) to have this experience you know you can't watch it on a screen and i think one of the things that we were both proudest of is that is that we brought people into the theater who had never been to a theater before you know somebody rang the liverpool playhouse in that first week and asked if it was all right to come in train us (laughs) Because they'd never been oh, to a theatre before, you know, which is is so yeah. sweet. But also, we were so like that's so wonderful to think that that you you'd done something yeah. that you know that that somebody wanted to wanted to go to the theatre to see if they'd never been in a theatre in their lives. Because we both love, you know, we both of the opinion that when when theatre is good yeah. or when it works, it, it, it's just the best thing. It's it's there's nothing more exciting. It's so deep. it's on a whole yeah. other level from going to see a movie. Yeah. Even speaking speaking as someone who passionately loves movies, you know, the, the live experience of being in a room in a theatre and the things happening in front of you is just electrifying when it's um, uh, when it, when everything's working. Well, you might you might have opened up a whole new world to that person. You know, that person could be a, <laughs> you know a theatre fanatic now. You might have you know you opened a little door for someone and you, you could have you know could have changed their life. Well. What, Again, you know, Ghost Stories has gone on to have this this extraordinary life that we neither of us would ever have anticipated, and uh, I mean, and and that was one that that was one of the lovely things is that people would come back and see the show again and again, and it, it's had uh, uh, you know four or five productions in the UK since its first production, and uh, and you know, so there were people had gone each time because they because they'd had such a good time and. You know that's as good as it gets from a creator's yeah, point of yeah. view. 
in terms of when you see that's for yeah. real and 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 um so it, it's been for me for both me and Andy it's been such a wonderful thing and and uh you know that 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 we would never never have anticipated for it did you always sort of foresee it becoming a film as well was that something you had a talked about at an early stage or was it always just thinking about it as being a sort of live production uh, when it was in the first that that week that first week of work when we were outlining the story and we, once we'd hit upon the end of it we both looked at each other and thought oh you know this could be a film in the sense of it felt like a sort of uh, that it had that mm. sort of cinematic twist to it but then we also but sort of made a vow of, yeah. but, but we're doing this as a mm. stage show so so it was yes maybe one day but let we we'll, we'll give we'll, the focus is completely on on its theatrical life and then and then after it had been running for a bit then we thought then we started turning our attention to well may, yes let maybe there is a movie in it and well there was interest mm. from other you know once when it was when it had heat on it when it had first transferred into the west end that there was there was sort of studio interest and that was enough to make us think well what happened I, you see it's andy again he's so brilliant at this much better than me he, he said um we were in toronto with it there was a production in toronto and we'd gone over for the opening um night and and there was interest from an american producer there then uh, uh who who was known for doing horror movies and there was and he was talking and there was talk about who he'd you know oh and he'd offer it as a property to this director or that director and Andy said he said I, to, to, to me he said I don't want to give it to some other director he said we should mm. do it and he's much better at thinking like that than I am because I that's in my heart but I, I'm, I'm much less yeah. bold at saying those things yeah. out loud and he's brilliant at that and um, so you know once again it was it was Andy that really drove that decision but once he once he said it and once i'd sort of dared own up to it um then then it was you know there was well that's the only way of doing it you know and so we we kind of took it off the market as it were as an independent property and we just wrote as we wrote our own spec script um and it was all the deal always was we we direct it and andy's in it you know and that's that's the only way it's, it's going to get done um and then, and uh, did you enjoy directing? Because it's very different, very different from oh, what you've yeah, done yeah, before. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah. No, I do. I love it. And I, di- I and I directed. You know, I'd always wanted to di- to direct because I because I do really enjoy it. It's, as I mean, Mark always joke. It's the ultimate profession for a for a dilettante is directing because if you if you, you just need to know a little bit about <laughs> yeah. lots of things. So you know, I, I know a little bit about music and I know a little bit about photography and. You know, a little bit about sound, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and 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 it's the one job where you can where that's actually quite useful, and um, so and it is in, it's intoxicating as well because you know if you're creative because because if, because you get it's you get to look at actors and you get to spend time with a composer and you and you're talking to a photographer and a designer and you know so if you enjoy the company of creative people, it's just it's just the best thing. Um, so so yes, I, I always had the interest, and then I did I did Psycho Bitch, is the TV series for Sky. I did two series of that as as director, and that was a bit like that was like having film school for two years doing that because it was, 
it was it was quite because it's so contained because it was a sketch show set in the in one one room in a therapist's office so it was a it was a great place to sort of learn to to direct because you sort of um you had a lot of the things were stripped away in terms of you know unit moves and stuff so you could sort of focus on uh, on on slightly less than you might be otherwise and um it was it actually turned out to be an excellent way of limbering up for doing ghost stories is it all consuming though they always comes across directors it's just such an all-consuming thing to be director of a one project you know yeah it's because and it's quite obviously it's a it's a quite a big part of your life it could be a couple of years sometimes to put put the whole thing together so it's exactly that because you you're not Mm. thinking about anything else while you're doing it but that's that's also what i loved about it because in fact doing the movie what was great is because when in my normal day job life you know i'm generally working on four or five things at the same time as you'll all be both be familiar with Mm. and then what was lovely about about doing ghost stories well, and Psycho Bitches, for that matter, when I was doing that, was you were a, it's an excuse to pull the drawbridge yeah, up, yeah. because yeah. because you, you can only do that. You can't you can't direct and be working on a script for something else at the same time, uh, you know, or, or doing script editing. You you can only be doing that while you're doing it. So um, it, it was almost like having a a year's sabbatical doing the movie, because uh, which was another bonus of it. Because it was a year, you know. It was a, well, it's more than a year. It's it's more like two years, but but it was a year of the job. Is it nice when you finish yeah. though? Because I mean, it's a big, like you say, it's that big commitment, isn't it? And it is all consuming. Is it nice sometimes to put it to bed and leave it? Yeah, and there were two. There were two moments of that. One was finishing the shoot, and God, the sense of satisfaction having finished the shoot that last day of the ghost of the ghost show it was like it was so profound of like because uh, you know because it had been what f- it was like three years of mm. fairly sustained effort to to know that you'd got it all in the can and had the edit in front of you was 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 unbelievably deep satisfaction of yeah. just <laughs> and then um uh but and then yes and then the final signing off of the dcp of the you know when you have to review your uh, the thing that goes out to cinemas, the digital file. Once upon a time, it would have been a, a film print, but now it's it's a digital thing. Yeah, that was that was that's because that was very yeah. drawn out the back end of of it. So um, yes, to to think right, it's done was yeah a different kind of satisfaction. Yeah, um, Jeremy, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you so much. I do have a final question, if that's okay. And you sort of alluded yes. to it earlier, actually, and I while researching, noticed you have said it publicly about that you're not an actor, your, your comedy chops mm-hmm. are not there, but do you harbour any or have, have harboured any desires to give that a crack and really... Because you're still a creative person, so that stuff is probably still in there, but, yeah, have you ever... Well, it's funny because I, I ponder it because, of course, I'm, I'm in a position now where, I, you know, if I could write a part for myself yeah. if I wanted, uh, and I, it's something that I've never done, so I, I can only assume... I don't think I'm in denial about anything. I can only assume it's, you know, in the same way that that voice called to me to write those horror, those horror stories and ghost yeah. stories and read them out loud. I can only assume it's not really a component of who I am. Um, uh, so, you know, and I've, I've often thought, you know, if someone else, what if someone asked me to be in something like they asked David Cronenberg <laughs> to be in, um, uh, in, in Nightbreed, you know, would I do That's that? quite a weird That's film a, as well, isn't it? Uh, but, but, <laughs> it's a very strange 
Um, although yeah, David Cronenberg's very good at it. But, um, you know, but I've never... I, I, I'd, I'd see what would happen. I, you know, I'd, I'd be open yeah, to if, if yeah. that ever arose. But I don't think it's on, it's not on my bucket list, no. Of, uh, and it's... Um, uh, I, you know, I think... I, 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 the thing... You know, all those those things from the outside that seem unpleasant that uh, as they do with writing that, that that ends up being part of the compulsion for those mm. that do it so learning your lines that all the anxiety that goes with that sort of displaying your creating in public in that way i think those all seem like unpleasant things to me yeah. you know the, the stress of it and i, I haven't got that mm. thing that overcomes that, whatever that is. So, um, and I must have worked that out very yeah. early on in, in in being on stage with the three of them. You know that compulsion element of it, and of course the app, the 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 skill. Yeah. You know, it's the in the same way that I don't desire to get on a football field and um, <laughs> fantasize about scoring goals. You know, that's all I do. That is all I think about <laughs> <laughs> every day. <laughs> but it's, I guess it's good to be open, isn't it? It's good to be open to things and. Oh yeah, and I'm, I'm definitely always open to things, and I'm, 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 some of my best things have come from someone asking, ringing up with yeah. a phone call, like yeah. Andy, you know, with, with ghost stories. So, so I'm always open, and and you know, because that's there's something very, it keeps you alive. You know, it's very refreshing, isn't it, to to do do new things. Well, Jeremy, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Um, a pleasure to to talk to you and to be um, and no, to be asked great. to do it. So, uh, uh, well, you're yes. the, you're the final corner of the um, uh, of the Lee <laughs> bingo that we've been playing on this on this podcast. <laughs> so, <we've... laughs> so what what's the, what's the prize? We haven't worked that out For yet. You, um, but yeah, no. But it's, honestly, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. Big fan of your work. Um, loved 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 Ghost Stories the movie. I thought it was brilliant. Um, so I, I'm hoping that will be oh, more that's, that's more from you in that respect. Well, we yeah we have a we have a Fantastic. new one in the works. So um, yeah, can't watch wait. this space. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. All right. Thank you so much. All the best, guys. Well, there you go. The set is complete <laughs> we've had all four and what a way to round off our league of gentlemen uh top trumps yeah it's like we've um finally wandered into mordor and we've, <laughs> we've tossed... it's been a long time coming yeah we yeah it took ages uh and we've tossed the ring into the, the fires <laughs> of mount doom and that's it. <laughs> yeah uh, peter jackson sits back in his chair yeah i think so oh, job done yeah yeah Definitely. So yeah. Oh well, I mean, what a great guy. I mean, much like the other the other lads as well. Incredibly easy to talk to. Very open yeah. about his career and and very easy to get to. I know I'm sort of lacking sleep a bit today because I've had a bit of a late night last night. But so I got deep really early on. But I think with all four of these guys, that like, they're so in tune with that kind of thing mm. and they're so sort of thoughtful that you can you can yeah. get into that early stuff and they will indulge it and embrace it. And, and Jeremy did that. But I just thought. What a talented guy. And it's always interesting tapping into the brains of these people that mm. create this. Incre- you think about the stuff he's created. Like, we are so lucky to be able to tap into those brains and, yeah. and talk about it. And, and the phrase I sort of alluded to at the top was the, the swimming in culture. Oh, which yeah, really struck so, me yeah. that, which is such a, like, we talk a lot about, don't we, talk being overwhelmed and stuff. And 
that is such a perfect way of describing sort of what life is like at the moment and it's always reassuring when you get these brilliant people you look up to come on and they share mm. those thoughts and worries and concerns about life that you do and it's just it's it's like a, it's like a bonding exercise really mm. so but it was lovely talking to him and, and just very easy to chat to. Yeah, it's nice to have those confirmations sometimes. I mean, I've been thinking yeah, yeah. that. Time. I, I think uh, Michelle and I have these conversations a lot about, you know, we are swimming in culture and, and you know, we spend half the night trying to find something to watch, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and actually, there is there is part of you that sort of pines for the days of four channels or <laughs> yeah. where you had to sort of force yourself to watch certain things which were always brilliant and actually do you know what there's something to be said for it I mean we've seen in recent weeks you know things like Line of Duty and, and actually um, recent yeah. Steve showed Inside Number what, 9 yeah. is is episodic weekly and that build up to it every yeah. week is really fantastic and exciting so I think there is something to be said for that I mean you know I'm all for binging stuff as well but I think you know maybe we need to all do that a little bit more and uh yeah well, I you only we'll... have to look at twitter when those shows are on that pe- people want they want that shared experience we're, we're mm. not having the same shared experiences we used to maybe of everyone the family on the sofa or whatever mm. or or then you go down the pub and discuss i don't know what people did like back in the day but um we're having that shared experience now of watching mm. those uh shows that come out at a certain time on twitter and actually it's really fascinating mm. watching people interact about it so I, I think there is a there is a desire for that actually that going back a bit and, and having those scheduled shows i think people do do want it a bit yeah definitely i do i do i think there's there is something to be said for it i know because you want you know, especially if it's a show you love you're like oh i really want the next one you know and i think yeah, that's good yeah. want leave them wanting more is always a good yeah. adage isn't it so yeah i think let's see i hope broadcasters will do that a bit more but you know who knows um we'll wait and well, see we're gonna we're gonna obviously in a minute leave our listeners wanting more hopefully and hopefully that's what we do at the end or of never coming back that, again <laughs> yeah come on rosie come on the audiogram the audiogram doesn't count um well um thank you to jeremy um and thank you to uh our listeners for their tweets thank you to our patrons we hope you enjoyed the bonus content at the end there with jeremy um if you didn't because you're on the main the main feed please do join our patron at patreon.com forward slash blank podcast you can get bonus content with all of our guests every single week mm. uh, as long as other rewards um as well should we read out our, our twitter accounts so people can get in contact should they wish? yeah i think they should we should yeah it's at blank pod and you can also find indeed. us on instagram and facebook at the same handle you can and we're not going to read the email address out because no one uses it. But obviously, if you're on, the, if you join the patron, you can also get direct. That's not all about bonuses. Uh, direct contact with us there as well. We we check our patron messages regularly, so it's another. Well, it's actually an easier way to get in contact with us, to be honest. Yeah, and if you sign up to a certain tier, you get into the inf- now infamous Facebook blank group. Facebook group, exactly, exactly. We're only the real. I think that's the super friend, the best super friend tier i think uh really get to yeah and it, it pops off in there as well so look, there's plenty of rewards on our patron people know what patrons are these days um but yeah please it, it, it's a way for you to sort of join the blank community and uh yeah we really do appreciate it and we love making this stuff for you guys like we love mm. making the bonus content bits and we love interacting with all our, our listeners as well so uh yeah it just helps us sort of take it all to the next level and helps keep the pod going as well absolutely um and that's it for this week. It is. What a, what a great week. Another great one. What are, I mean, sort of Jeremy said, what do we win now for completing the house, full house? We should win something, shouldn't we? We should do, yeah. We, we you know, we've bit. cobbled it together. 
<laughs> and I've been haranguing all these people to come on. <laughs> I should get a prize. <laughs> you should do. We'll um, think about it. We'll I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the prize, Giles. The prize is getting to talk to exactly, them. exactly, and getting to share it with our wonderful listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that is a prize oh, worth having. Such a suck up. Yeah, it's just what I, it's just what I do. Yeah, it's just what I do. Anyway, thank you very very much for listening. Thank you, Giles, for for being you and you, Jim. And that's become our sign off now, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, it's nice I like it Um, and have a great week and we'll see you again next week with another guest uh, on the Blank Podcast goodbye goodbye Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This is a Blast Box Media Podcast.